If you have your Bibles with you, would you uh, open up to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we came across this, this neat little piece of Scripture where the disciples came to Jesus and said in the Gospel of Luke, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them the same prayer that we see in Matthew chapter 6. We often call it the Lord's Prayer, but we know in reality it's a prayer for us. You ever felt in, you know, your journey walking with the Lord, you ever felt like you're disappointed with God or you're disappointed with the way God has answered your prayers or considered your prayers or even wonder why? Do I bother praying in the first place? There's a, a Christian artist who wrote a song in regard to that. I wanted to share the lyrics of that song with you. He said, I'm down on my knees again tonight, and I'm hoping this prayer will turn out right. You see, there's a boy that needs your help, and I've done all I can do myself. His mother is tired, and I'm sure you can understand and each night as he sleeps, she goes in to hold his hand. And she tries not to cry as tears fill her eyes. Can you hear me? Am I getting through tonight? Can you see him? Can you make him feel all right? If you hear me, then let me take his place somehow. See, he's not just anyone. He's my son. So often when we pray, we go before the Lord and we're, we're going there because we're driven by a hunger, a need, a desire. Something's going on in our life. And we get singularly focused and all we can see is how tall the waves are on the side of the boat. And how much that boat is rocking and how much if... God in heaven doesn't intervene, that our lives will be totally and completely changed. Yet, we also see in the life of Jesus Christ that He arose early every morning to spend time with the Father and every night to close out the day. And when His disciples seeing the true power behind what Jesus was doing in the life that he led of prayer, asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us to preach, not teach us to heal, not teach us to, to cast out demons. There's a lot of things Jesus did they could ask for. They said, teach us to pray. And so he began, our Father in heaven. We talked about that last week. He doesn't say my father because we're not in this alone. Do you get that? No one is an island. We are in this together. He's not my father. He's our father. And there are things that affect my life that also affect the lives around me. And as God moves, as God works, his perfect work in our lives, we need to remember to keep the whole picture in view. It's our father. But he's also our Father who's close to us. And in his closeness, we also need to remember he's transcendent. He's high above everything else. He says, his ways are not my ways. That I can't always understand what God's doing. You ever felt like that? 
I mean, I felt like that before. I felt like, Lord, if you knew what was good for us, you would just bring a healing right now. And everything would be turned around, but God doesn't do it. Why? Because apparently, that's not true. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. So if the gift doesn't come, what does that mean? It's not good. And it's not perfect. How can it not be perfect? How can it not be good? It's where we fall on the transcendence of God. Where he says, you can't understand. You don't see the whole picture. And the question when we come to that point is, do you trust me? Our Father, who is in heaven. How would be your name? How often in our prayer life is the glorification of God the most important thing? Because that's the first thing Jesus points to. Glorifying God, worshiping His name, bringing glory and honor to Him. Often when I pray, my prayers are somewhat selfish. I want this, I want that, I'd like this that way. Lord, you know, could you work these things out? But in reality, Jesus said, if you want to learn to pray right, if you want to learn how to pray powerful prayers, then the first point of your prayer needs to be, Lord, whatever happens in my life, let it bring glory to you. Let it bring honor to you. Do you know why? Because we tend to focus everything on this life here. Do you realize that this life here is not the end-all, beat-all? The Bible describes it like this. Our life here is like the grass in the field. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's green now, it's brown later. It's life is short. That's our life here on earth. But our life with Jesus Christ in eternity is everlasting. And we get so focused on the now. What can I have now? What can I touch now? Give me, give me, give me now. That we forget that what is lasting is that which is eternal. We live here in a little speck, a little dot, a little period of time. But we're living for eternity. See, Jesus said, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting. Everlasting life, which begins when? Right now. Right now. But all I can see is the job I don't have. Or all I can see is the, the illness I, I, I can't overcome. Or all I can see is the, the, the accident that occurred and the, the way it changed lives. And that's my focus. But my focus is here. My focus needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Is Jesus Christ your king? Because the scripture goes on in Matthew to tell us, seek first what? The kingdom of God. Does it say seek first healing? Does it say seek first financial success? Does it seek first? No. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what happens? And all these things would be added unto you, given unto you. Seek his kingdom first. Is he your king? Is he in that rightful place in your life? Is there's a, the darkest time in Israel's history was when they said there's no king in Israel. And every man did was right in his own heart. And unfortunately that is often the case within the church. That there's no king in the church. And everyone just does what's right in their own mind. But God wants to be king. Jesus Christ wants to lead us. His kingdom come. 
Then it went on, His will be done. And oftentimes we're afraid of God's will. We pray God's will like that's second best. Oh, Lord, your will be done. Like spoiled little children, Lord, your will be done. That, that's just a way of saying that you're not going to do what I want. Well, that might be true. But this is the other thing that we have to realize. The will of God is an extension of the love of God in your life. How can this be loving, Lord? How can this possibly be right? Listen, the will of God is an extension of the love of God. The scripture lays out for us that the will of God comes out of the heart of God. The heart of God, we know. His design for us, right? I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. So we don't have to be afraid of God's will. But we also need to understand God's will isn't designed so that in our speck, in our period of grass, in our time here, everything's going to work out like we'd like. But what we can trust is everything's going to work out to glorify the Lord and bring people eternally home. What's more important to you? What's more important to me? Is it more important to me that my son would be healed or is it more important that my son would spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I'd rather he spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, my prayer for my kids, every single one of them, is the same. Whatever you need to do in their life to bring you, or bring them, eternally home, do it. Be glorified in their life, Lord. And sometimes that means you don't get the loan, and sometimes that means you don't get the job, and sometimes that means you go to jail, and sometimes that means you don't. But I trust God. I want to have an effective prayer life, so I want to take the things that the Lord lays out for us in this prayer, and I want to apply them. Let's take a look at it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last time we left off on the will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So today we're going to take a look at give us this day our daily bread. Do you see how it started? Give. Where does our sustenance come from? Where does the things... We, we've got this issue, especially in the United States. Let me tell you what the issue is. The issue is the American dream. You know the American dream. Because this is what the American dream says the Bible says. God helps those who help themselves. Right? And if I want more, I just got to go out and work and make it happen. Because I have the ability to make my life better. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad things until they infiltrate the church and we start thinking, I can have everything I need if I just go out and make it happen. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar one day went out and he looked at the glorious kingdom that he had. Now, for you and I, Nebuchadnezzar had a pretty big deal going on. We might think that our kingdom is pretty large, but Nebuchadnezzar, it was the world at that time. And he looked at the world that he had conquered. And he never prayed to God. He never went to God. He never did anything with God. God wasn't even in the back of his mind. 
But one day Nebuchadnezzar was walking around and he said, Look at this kingdom which I have built. And Daniel the prophet came to him and said, Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, if, if you don't learn that everything you have was a gift to you from God, God's going to show you. Nebuchadnezzar thought about that for a while, and for a while he was good. But one day he walked out on his back patio in that castle, and he overlooked that kingdom, and he said, Oh, look at this kingdom which I have built. And from that moment on, he was crazy. He went crazy. He ate the grass of the field like an ox. His hair grew out like some kind of wild animal. His nails grew like claws. And he lived in the field, running around like a crazy person for seven years. Now, let's say that that happened in the United States. Let's say we turned on the news today and, God forbid, President Obama went crazy. <laughs> the concept of the debt ceiling and working out this budget just was too much for him and he went crazy and he ran out into the lawn at the White House and started eating the grass. And everybody who walked over to talk to him and say, hey, President Obama, he couldn't speak, he couldn't talk, his hair grew out long, his nails like claws and he just played around in the grass. How long do you think that's going to happen? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar did that for seven years and didn't lose his kingdom. At the end of the seven years, his mind returned to him and God said, Everything you have, I gave you. Everything you have, I kept. And Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel writes this incredible praise to the God Most High who showed, revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Everything you have is from me. So when we look at the prayer, the Bible begins with that phrase, Give us this day our daily bread. All the way through the Bible, is this give me? Is it give me my stuff? No, it's give us our. What is that, what is that saying? That, that we're a family. That this is a family prayer. And even though we go into our prayer closet alone and we close the door and nobody else is in there with us, we still bring the family with us. Give us this day our. Give us every good and perfect thing from God. Give it so that we <clears throat> would realize and recognize that we're not alone. That we're not our, on our own in this place. And as we consider that idea that we're not alone, what does that how does that branch out? How does that, how does that work for us? See, when God provides for us, there are times which He desires you and I to be the tool to fill someone else's cup. Give us this day our daily bread. But so often when we pray, we only think of it as how something affects me personally. Give me this day my daily bread, not give us Maybe the Lord's going to give you bounty so that you might share it with a brother. You ever considered that? Maybe the Lord's going to give you, just like we were talking about in, in announcements, a, a bountiful harvest that you might feed those who are hungry. The reality is in the United States, we throw away enough food to feed the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Give to us that which we might use to serve or help one another. 
Give us that which we need to be able to reach out in love and kindness and mercy to the people that God would have us reach out to. And the point of all that is to understand this. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are asking God to make us stewards of His gifts. Make us stewards of the gifts, of the plenty, of the things that you give. Let me be a good steward. That what you give me... Think about when Jesus fed the 5,000. What did they do afterwards? They threw all that food away? It says the disciples went out and gathered it all back up, right? And they filled up 12 sacks of the fragments that were remaining. They were good stewards. They picked up what was left and they used what was left. They used it to be able to do the work of God, to meet people's needs. We have to understand that God wants us to use the gifts that He gives us for others and not just upon ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. <clears throat> give it to us that we might give it to others. James said in James chapter 2 if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? John would write in 1 John chapter 3, My little children, let us not love God in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus said, He who has two tunics, let him give to the one who has none. And he who has food... Let him do likewise. There's a lot of times within the body of Christ that we think we stand alone as an island. And we think that our prayers are for us alone. But it's for us corporately. For the way that we fit together. So when we pray, give us our daily bread. May we understand that at times when God gives us plenty, the Lord is looking for us to be that good steward. And share with someone who lacks. And other times we may be the one who lacks and someone else is going to share with us. So then God will provide corporately through the body of Christ. Corporately as we pray that prayer. <clears throat> give us <clears throat> this day our daily bread. The other thing that we recognize in that give us this day. It is that our stewardship is one day at a time. How many of us try to live more than one day at a time? How's that working out for you? Pretty good? They say most Americans are crucified between two thieves. Worry and regret. Worry about the future, regret about the past. And it robs us of all the joy we can have in the present. So how does God tell us to walk? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Looking to God to do that perfect work. That's how we're called to, to live. In fact, if you're a part of Celebrate Recovery, you're going to pray that in the serenity prayer, and the, the full serenity prayer, by the way, at the end of every service. Not the little mini one that everybody else does, the whole thing. And as we look at that, and as we spend time seeking that truth from God, we got to realize, what do we need today? That's where our prayer is. What do I need today? The strength to get through this day, the strength to get through that storm, the, 
the ability to overcome, the deliverance that God wants to bring. We got to pray that. And in Proverbs chapter 30, if you guys got a minute, just flip over there with me. Proverbs chapter 30, the Lord uh, <clears throat> lays out this concept, I think, pretty well. In Proverbs 30, verse 7. Solomon says this, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with my daily bread. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Just what we need for now. Listen, when we look at the scripture, we see that God deals with, in regard to our petitions, asking the Lord for things. Not just for our bread, and we're going to get to that in a minute. We're not just talking about food. We're talking about the things that we petition God for. Those things that we go before the Lord and ask Him for. And we need to understand that it's a matter of priority. When I'm driven by hunger and need, I go to the Lord and I forget everything else and I just cry out to Him. And I don't honor Him. And I don't glorify Him. And I'm not allowing Him to be King because I just want what I want when I want it, how I want it. But He says in Matthew chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. He says, where's your priority? When we come to the Lord and we pray, recognize, where's my priority? Is my eyes only focused on me and my need or are my eyes, is my heart focused on the heart of God? On wanting to draw near to Him. On wanting to see Him glorified and Him work. And in that, am I first seeking those things that are of God's and His righteousness? Because when my priorities are right, the Scripture declares, all these other things will be given unto you. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, you will have it. That concept of in my name means according to his according to his character, who he is, what he's about, what he's done. The things you ask the Lord for, they according to his character. He says if they are, you'll have them. James says you have not why? Because you ask not. And you do not receive because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your own desires. The selfishness that we have in prayer. I want a more effective prayer life. I want a prayer life that Mary Queen of Scots says of me like John Knox. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Anybody said that recently about you or I? I want an effective prayer life. But my effective prayer life has to be centered on what God wants to do. And on what God wants to accomplish in our life. 
Then we come to the end. Give us this day daily our daily bread. Bread speaks of two things. Speaks of our physical needs. Anything that, uh, that is a part of our physical needs. Whether it be food or, or money or shelter or whatever we need. That's what bread was. Bread was an idiom for anything we need to sustain life. That's physically what it speaks of. But Jesus in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am that which sustains your life. So not only are we talking about the physical needs that we have, but we're also talking about the spiritual needs that we have. Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. What does that mean? Unless you consume me, unless I am a part of your life, if I'm in you, I'm a part of you. When I eat a piece of bread, that bread becomes a part of me. Sometimes I eat too much bread and I get too many parts. But it still has become a part of me. When I drink that drink, it becomes a part of me. That's what Jesus is saying. Am I a part of you? I have to be a part of you. For you to enjoy, be a part of the kingdom of God. So we see both the physical and the spiritual need that we have. What is it that God said in Deuteronomy? He said, man shall not live, how? By bread alone. But what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Give us this day our daily bread. We have daily breads out there. What are they? Little scriptures, little devotions that we can pour into our life. So when we pray that prayer, don't just think about the physical issues that we need. Think also about the spiritual things that we need. The spiritual food that we need to pour in. The spiritual things that need to become a part of our life. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, the word says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Give us this day our daily bread. Are we taking that opportunity? Not only to seek the physical, but the spiritual. Not only to seek the healings and the, and the special things that we need and God's special movement and the miracles that we all desire in our life. But are we also seeking the miracle of renewal that occurs when the Word of God is poured into our life. When the Word of God becomes that which consumes us. This is what Job had to say in Job 23. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Give us this day our daily bread. Not just physically what I need, spiritually what I need. Moment by moment. Minute by minute. Give us this day because it all comes from the Lord. But then he goes on. And he says the next phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's interesting because many of the manuscripts of the Bible, the ancient manuscripts, were written in Aramaic. They're written in Aramaic. And Aramaic word for debt is the same as the Aramaic word for sin. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Think a little bit about how we forgive. Think a little bit about how we've been forgiven. What do we see? What does the scripture tell us about sin? Scripture tells us that sin is defilement. What dirt is to the body, sin is to the soul. In Psalm 51, (coughs) David said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
Scripture tells us that sin is darkness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This is a message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. Sin is bondage. Proverbs 5.22 His own sin entrapped the wicked man and he is caught in the cords of his sin. We see sin is a burden. Psalm 38.4 For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They were too heavy for me. According to the law of restitution, whenever someone sinned, whenever someone wronged somebody else, they were required to make restitution. If you could not make restitution, you were sold into slavery. Listen, you and I owe a debt we can't pay. We're bankrupt. We do not have the ability to pay the price for our own sin. So what do we do? We cast ourselves down upon the mercy of God. That His Son became my sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. That while I was unable to pay the debt, that I was due to pay, required to pay, Jesus Christ became that debt on the cross and died for my sin. So that I might have in my life the one thing God requires that I can't produce. Righteousness. That righteousness He pours out in my life. I have that righteousness. When we look at this... We see that the Bible and regard to forgiveness speaks about three different types, three different uh, steps, if you will, in regard to forgiveness. And the first one is the best one. The first one is final forgiveness. It's the forgiveness we find in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we are forgiven. We are accepted in the beloved. We become part of God's family. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 say, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. What was that? mark of legal indebtedness the written requirements against us the fact that we are sinners jesus became the curse and was nailed to the cross and paid the price that we might experience final forgiveness once and for all you're made right with the lord you have eternal life as a result of that forgiveness repent therefore peter would preach in acts chapter 3 And be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So we come to that place, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we have it. We have forgiveness. We've been accepted into the family of God. But then we come to the second one. The second one is fellowship forgiveness. Fellowship forgiveness. Here's what I mean by by fellowship forgiveness. I want you to picture a family just moved into a house. When they moved into the house, the yard wasn't ready yet. There was no landscaping, just dirt and 
and they were putting the stuff in, but it wasn't done, so there's mud and everything out there. And the mom says to her kids, hey, listen, kids, don't go out there and play in the mud. They're working out there. Just leave that all alone. And the mom went inside, and the kids were outside. Now, what occurs? Temptation. And the temptation of the big old mud holes and all the stuff out there was too much for those little kids. So they went for it. And the next thing you know, they're having mud fights, and from head to toe, they are covered in mud. And they come to the door, and they knock on the door, you know, and mom answers the door. <clears throat> are they acceptable? No. Are they accepted? Yeah. They're still part of the family. They still come in. Maybe not. If it was at my house, Kathy meets you at the door with a garden hose. And sprays you off right there. I know it happens to me sometimes when I try to come home. She sprays you off with a garden hose <coughs> and cleans you up and brings you in. And as you've been cleaned up and brought in, your fellowship is then renewed. You and I in our relationship with God, we're, we're forgiven. But there are times in our life where we get dirty because of just being a part of the world or we mess up. When we mess up, we haven't lost our, our, our salvation, but we have broken fellowship. Broken fellowship between us and the Lord. Broken fellowship between us and the brothers and the sisters within the church. So we need to have fellowship forgiveness. Being, uh, being saved or lost is a matter of life or death. We see that. In John chapter 5, John chapter 5, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. But as we already read in 1 John 1, 5 through 10, that section of scripture, we see that, that fellowship and having that right relationship with God is the difference between darkness and light. Are you walking in the dark? Or are you walking in the light? In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. <clears throat> when we find ourselves in sin in our life, it robs us of that close fellowship with God. So what are we to do? Use the bar of soap. 1 John 1, 1.9, confess your sins, get out of the darkness and stand in the light. So when it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we need to understand we're talking about final forgiveness where we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and he sets us free. We're talking about fellowship forgiveness where, where we have fellowship now with the brethren and with the Lord because that relationship has been renewed. We see a great picture of that in a picture of the tabernacle. When you first walked into the tabernacle through the only door that would lead you into the place of worship, you would come to the brazen altar. The brazen altar is a place of sacrifice where we find final forgiveness. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. 
was slain at the brazen altar. Then you have the place of service. That's a holy place. But before you get to the holy place, there was a bronze laver. A bronze laver was a big open uh, pot of water. Because between offering the sacrifice and getting into the temple, you were dirty. And so you would stop at that bronze labor and you would wash your hands. Well, listen, Jesus pictured that for us in John chapter 13. When the disciples were all arguing about who's the greatest. You guys remember? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Jesus got up, donned a towel, grabbed a basin of water and began to wash their feet. Now, don't you think they stopped talking about then? I know I would. Well, that's everybody but Peter. When he got to Peter, Peter said, Lord, you're not washing my feet. All these other knuckleheads, they let you do it. But you are not washing my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I have no part in you. Well, then Peter said, oh, then wash all of me. Wash my head and my back and all those spots I can't get in the shower. The Lord said, no, you are... You have been cleansed, but you're not all clean. Sometimes we go through life and we've been forgiven our sins, but we're dabbling, we're walking in darkness. And so we need the Lord to clean us up a little. Our feet are dirty. And Jesus Christ would wash the feet and renew the right relationship. Because Peter allowed Jesus to wash his feet, the picture of forgiving him of his sin then he once again had a right relationship with the Lord. A right relationship with Him. That's what fellowship forgiveness is all about. But when we look at this, we also need to understand, we are finally forgiven, we have fellowship forgiveness, but we are to be forgiving. That's the second part of that phrase, right? Forgive us as we forgive. In the same manner that we have been forgiven, God expects us to forgive. In the same way, the same wrong that we did to the Lord is done to us. Peter would ask the question and think that he was, was way ahead of everybody else. You guys remember the question that Peter would ask? He would say, Lord, how often should I forgive my, my, my brother? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, Surely I say unto you, you forgive him 70 times 7. Does that mean 490 times? Man, forgiveness is something that pours out of the heart of God. As long as you want God's forgiveness, you should forgive. As long as you want God's forgiveness, you should forgive. We're going to look at three places as we close out. That that the Lord speaks of what occurs when we have an unforgiving heart. In fact, the first place is Matthew chapter 18. So turn to the right. A few chapters come to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. <coughs> we'll see this section of Scripture. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but seventy times that... Seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed ten thousand talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that the payment would be made. 
And the servant fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. <clears throat> and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told the master what had been done. And the master, after he had called the servant unto him, he called him a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. God is serious about forgiveness. About forgiving you. About you forgiving others. If I want to have a right relationship with God, if I want to have an effective prayer life, then I've got to learn not only to experience His forgiveness, but to also extend that forgiveness to others. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And we'll read another section of Scripture about unforgiveness. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself said, This man, if he was really a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman it is that's touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them loved him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You greeted me with no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Mary of Magdalene, sinner, coming to Jesus, wiping his feet with her tears. Simon believed he was good. Hey, I'm a good one. I do it all right. 
So he didn't really care when Jesus came over. He didn't offer him the common courtesy of water to wash his feet. He didn't greet him by like saying, hey, Jesus, how are you? Nice to see you. Come on in. None of those things were a part of it. He didn't give him any oil for the journey to anoint his head. But he said, this woman has been forgiven much. You don't think there's anything in your life to be forgiven for. Simon had an attitude of unforgiveness. And so he did not have the right relationship with Jesus Christ that was necessary. One last story. Luke chapter 15. You guys all know that story. It's a story of a son who wished his father was dead. And the son came to his father and said, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. We know the story. It's a prodigal son. And he went with the money that the father gave him and he went to a faraway land and he spent it on wine, women, and song. And when it was all gone, he discovered he had no friends and nowhere to go and no place to live. And so with no place to live, where did he go? He, he went to slop pigs. Every good Jewish boy should be slopping pigs, right? He's slopping pigs. And while he's in the middle of his pig pen, he remembers that the servants, the slaves in his father's house are treated better than this. So he drops all that stuff and he heads home. But that's not what the story's about. He gets home and the father sees him coming from a long ways off. And he runs to him. That picture of our heavenly father when he sees us come to him for salvation. He threw his arms around him. Put a robe of righteousness on him. Put a ring on his finger. The son said, Dad, what are you doing? I just want to be your slave. The father said, Oh, you're my son. You were dead in trespasses and sin, but now you are alive. Now you're made alive, even as we're made alive in Christ Jesus. But that, that's not the point of the story. We come to the end of that story. We come to verse 25, and it says, Now his older son was in the field as he came and drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. <coughs> so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father therefore came out and pleaded with him and answered. And he said to his father, All these years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. The older brother closed the door of fellowship to his brother, and he also closed the door of fellowship to his dad. His dad had to come outside to speak to him, remember? If you will not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Psalm 66, 18 tells us, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You want to have an effective prayer life? Me too. Then i got to come to the Lord and confess my sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, that means if I assume what I do is not sin or it's okay. God won't hear my prayers. If we neglect God's word, Scripture tells us 
in Proverbs 28.9, one who turns away his ear from his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. But if we neglect God's word, our prayers are hindered. Tragic consequences to living a life in broken fellowship with God. I want an effective prayer life. Then I come to the Lord recognizing that we're all together in this. And when I get to the part of my petitions, after I brought glory to the Lord, I remember that He gives me every good thing. And all I need to do is come to Him for what I need today. I don't got to worry about tomorrow. Jesus said tomorrow will take care of itself. Just take today's. What do you need today? Go to the Lord for what you need today. Live with Him in the present. We can't see God in the past. And we forget to put God in our future. But if we'll walk with Him in the present, He's there with us. And then if we want to have effective prayer life, we got to come to the Lord and say, Forgive me my debts, my sins. Confess those sins. Get out of that broken fellowship that's going to hold you back and deafen God's ears to your prayer. And also forgive others that deserve that forgiveness. I want an effective prayer life. I want to see God move today like they saw God move in the days of old. But then I got to come to the Lord His way, not my way. I got to come to God His way. I got to seek Him the way He wants to be sought. I want to come to Him and, and see Him do those incredible things that He's able to do. But I want to come to Him the way He calls me to come to Him. He's God. He's King. He's Ruler. He is Lord of all. And He is able to do abundantly above and beyond what we can even begin to ask or imagine. But we got to come to God the way He wants us to come. David said... Sacrifice you did not require, but a broken and contrite spirit. These are the things that God values. That's how we seek the Lord. And that's how we begin to experience that effective prayer life that we want with Him. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for an opportunity to come before you. For an opportunity to to enter into your throne room, God. For all that you have for us. For all that you desire for us, God. The thoughts that you have that are so great and marvelous. And the truth that you give us. Every good thing. But God, as we come to you, Lord Jesus, may we come to you remembering that your name is to be hallowed. May we come to you remembering that you are our king. May we come to you remembering that your will is an extension of your love in my life. And when I ask for things, the things that I ask for, may I trust you, God, that you know the whys and the hows and the wheres. 
Don't let me come to you with presumption, Lord. Let me come to you humbly presenting to you the issue that we seek your anointing upon. And when we knock, may we keep knocking. When we ask, may we keep asking. We don't have to be afraid. He's our Father. We've been accepted into the family. If we're not acceptable, then may we come before you, Lord, confessing our sins and and receiving that right fellowship. The channels once again being open that were closed between my prayers and your ears. And may I remember to extend that same forgiveness to anyone who has done anything to me. For you tell us, Lord, that you will not forgive if we will not be forgiving. God, we we need to see you move. We want to know and experience all that you have. But we need to step away, step out of, of the the sinfulness, the darkness, and walk in the light. We need to step out of the selfishness and step into the truth that you provide for our needs every single day. And Lord, on those occasions when we hear you say, no, then may we wrap ourselves in your love and acknowledge the truth that whatever we suffer for a brief time here is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed when we see you face to face. I trust you, Lord, no matter what. And I want to live a life of effective prayer so that, Father, when you look at us, you would say, there I have brothers and sisters standing in the gap for one another, praying for one another, because we're not in this alone. We're in it together. And in that togetherness, may we remember that the only thing in this world that is everlasting is the God we serve. Everything else came to pass. And it will go. But God and His love and our relationship endures forever. So God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.